0: this tip of the week we are going to be looking at sensing versus intuition sensors tend to look at their immediate environment with what they see they feel and they hear for example if you show a picture rich in detail to a group of people for a few minutes and then you remove it and ask them what do they remember about it Those with strong sensory functions are likely to recall much of the observable detail in the picture. The number of people, the colors used, the features of the landscape. Sensors are more likely to notice details and to then form a bigger picture with it. Whereas intuitives are more inclined to focus on possibilities and what might be and to build off of that previous example with the detailed picture and asking them what they remember about it, those with strong intuitive functions are more likely to recall the overall theme of the picture as well as the symbolism they gathered and interpreted from its most impactful features. Intuitives are looking for the big picture and then to recall the details that support it. Welcome to the interim whisper. Our show is all about the future of our work. Um, It is also part of our Employers for Change platform. It's a DEI HR platform that reduces employer bias through skills-based selection. I'd like to welcome Jamie Donnelly to the show. So Jamie, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I am so excited. I remember when I met you, it was back, uh, gosh, I think that was January when we were at the uh, Future of Education Technology Conference. Yes, FETC. Oh my goodness. You're going to go to it next year, right?
1: I have been going for every year I could. Um, I guess my first year I went and I was like, I'm never missing this and I haven't. I've I've went to every FETC possible. It's one of
0: my favorite events to go to every year. It is my favorite now. It was the first time I actually had ever heard of the organization. And I went, when I walked in, I went, I'm with my people. This is awesome. <laughs> so it I is. really enjoyed it. Yeah, you
1: can't be Orlando in January.
0: No, <laughs> no. This is why we live in
1: Orlando. <laughs> Where are you? I'm based out of East Texas. So. Oh, well, it's,
0: it's nice there, right? Yeah, it's good. But it's oh. little Orlando. no. <laughs> 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 Texas can be pretty warm also. I know that for sure. It's true. So we usually start off our show this way. And I always ask my guests, please tell me five words that describe you and why. So hyphenated words are okay. And you had said community builder. So why that word? Yeah.
1: I really love I like bringing people together. I feel very passionate about building community. I think that um, anything that is going to change is not going to be ever done through just one person, that it really is getting a buy-in and um, I think lifting each other up, helping people to grow, um, them being part of your growth. I think it just makes the whole process better and uh, just, I love being in community. So I think that, you know, bringing people together is something I'm really passionate about.
0: Mm, Yeah. Um, I usually will tell people, you know, we're we're made for purpose in this Mm -hmm. life, you know, and our purpose is about relationships. And so community builders are definitely about, you know, establishing relationships and pulling people together. That's really cool that you are that. Risk taker. Why that one? Oh, man.
1: I don't have enough fear about failing. (laughs) (laughs) So I tend to take probably too much risk at times, um, especially when it's just on me, you know? So yeah, um, that that really is probably just in my DNA to say, what if we do this and what would change? And uh, the, just the interest and being intrigued with the possibilities and, and having a vision that's generally not in a box. I think I love to explode that box and see what what's possible and Um, It's just, I don't know, I'm driven by it, I get excited about it, and it just constantly keeps my attention to try new things.
0: Mm, Yeah, and I think that most, if we tap into that inner child of us, you know, those two and three-year-olds, they're kind of fearless, you know, so they'll jump off of something and go, what are you doing? So I think that that's really good that you are in touch with that side of yourself.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, sometimes it's not always great, sometimes that risk does not pay off but that's we're true. learning from those failures too so
0: yeah <laughs> it's always growth <laughs> that's sadly how most humans learn right it's through failure yeah. so yeah it's okay yeah. creative why did mm-hmm. you pick that one
1: um i i can't say like i'm this amazing artist or um i can i'm a great you know musician or you know i can't say that you know i would lean on that side but i think there was part of me that I it was untapped growing up. I, I never knew what potential I had. And, um, I think creative was one of those things that I've learned as an adult that I have a passion for. Um, and so I think being creative means that, uh, I guess a lot of what we've already talked about, you know, just, just seeing possibilities and things that maybe other people might not see or, um, Coming up with solutions. I mean, I taught math, so problem solving, I think, is also just something in intrinsic to you know to me. Um, and I think that also um, wanting to just just push those limits. And I think it does require creativity because if it if, it, if it's been done, you know, it's already been done. Nobody had to think outside and and process things differently or try new things. And I think the creative aspect of it is required to to move and uh, change, you know, to change people, change things, circumstances.
0: So. Well, I found interesting is that your fourth word was practical. And I went, how do you go from risk taker to practical? Because that was an interesting choice. So why? Because... It's, you know, it's, cool.
1: um, it's something, especially in our topic today with AR and VR that I am extremely passionate about, and that is um, not just jumping in head first, but really having goals. And um, And for any of this technology to make any kind of impact, it has to have a purpose. There, there has to be um, a way that we approach this that actually benefits people instead of just wow this is exciting you know that gets really old and the practical side of me of saying you know i'm always looking at like will teachers use this will the mass use this is this going to offer benefit to our classrooms or is this just for fun and where does this really impact learners um is this driving them to understand the concept deeper is this giving them opportunity to express themselves differently all of those things that I think are really important because otherwise it's just for fun. And AR and VR, my passion there, really comes from education. I want to see this impact our learners. So while it's fun in, ed- edu- or in entertainment and gaming, I like it, it's fun, but I'm not passionate about it. I'm passionate about it when it comes to education and, and how it's going to change uh, the way we learn
0: in the future. Yeah, I believe it should be, something that accelerates that learning for all of us, but we're going to hold that for a little bit later. Uh, Your last word that you gave me is educator. Well, you've been pulling that thread through everything that you've been talking about. How long have you been an educator? So I was actually in the classroom and working in school
1: districts for about 10 years. Um, Mm -hmm. And now I pretty much, you know, work with teachers. I, Um, and hope that that affects students. I really miss students. That's something you're probably not going to hear a lot of from teachers. Um, I wonder if one day that will be something that I'll go back to because I really do enjoy working with kids. I think just the road I was heading down um, and the opportunities that were provided at the time um, just didn't, it brought me away from being in the classroom at that moment. But I really, you know, working with students and working with teachers are pretty much The same right they're people Mm -hmm. and uh, they want to know that you believe in them and that you're Mm going to be with their with them through the whole process and and you're going to be there when it's hard you're going to be there to celebrate when they are successful and again i think like
0: you said it all goes back to relationships Mm. yes so when did you uh you know leave school what was your major was it early ed or early education or what was your major yeah
1: yeah, that's really interesting. My bachelor's degree was in general ministries. Um, I thought that I was going to homeschool my kids, which was okay. not happening. As soon as my <laughs> son was born and my daughter, they, you know, they're 15 months apart, my two older. And um, they, it wasn't very long before I realized I am not qualified to help my son. He had lots of uh, delays uh, with speech and he basically had to go into special education, and I just fell in love and I just was in awe with what those educators were able to do with my son. I, to this day, I'm so thankful that they were there to help support him and me in the process of how to help him. Um, he ended up getting out of special education, he's in college now, um, but it was just very like that huge gap of the speech delays um, for him that he ran into. And I, was not qualified and it really hit me hard, but all the schooling that I went into for my master's degree to homeschool my kids ended up becoming the avenue to go into teaching. I was coaching at the time. I was coaching different sports, which is what I I played sports in college. So um, while my husband was going to school and uh, he was working and I was working as part-time coach, staying at home with the kids, And I just loved working with students. I, it's like, I can remember my first team I coached. I remember my first classroom, you know, still keep in touch with those kids. It's one of those things that, you know, being part of their lives and their journey is so rewarding. And so um, that, that's what, where the degree ended up coming into play. I ended up getting a master's in education. um, And I really went into it, not thinking I was going to teach at all other than my own kids but journey was different
0: yes yes it is being a teacher is definitely a a calling like you know the military public service like firefighters anybody in healthcare, because right dentists and eye doctors and everybody that has to touch your body (laughs) they're all there to take care of us so it's a calling for sure Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah okay so you did all of that you you did all of this education and then you Discovered that you love teaching. So, what's the journey been like for you to now and where I met you over here at that conference, the education conference?
1: Yeah, so you know, as a classroom teacher, I remember thinking, I can't believe I get paid to do this. I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> I get to come to school every day and have a blast with these kids, where you come out of this laughing and having a blast, and I get paid. And then I remember teachers complaining about summer and I was like, Oh my gosh, I've never had a whole summer break before. You know, it was just like mind blowing, um, how amazing it was. And then immediately I was always again, trying out new things. So, um, as a math teacher, I was always doing crazy stuff, like having a fraction carnival because the kids hate fractions, but they love mm-hmm. carnivals. So let's combine them and see if we could change their mindset and so the kids all made games We there's prizes, like the community helped. I, it was just, it was wonderful. And I dressed up as a crazy clown and I looked like a scary clown by the end of the day. And everybody was afraid of me. Oh um, no, not
0: the it clown, right? Not
1: that one. It got, it got spooky there by the end of the day after a whole day of... Fraction Carnival, you know, it was like always something, it was always related to what students really loved and trying to bring out that love and, and whatever we are learning, you know, whether it be math or whatever, right, whatever subject Mm -hmm. it is. And as I was teaching, I found a real love for um, RTI response to intervention, teaching and math. I don't have patience for GT. Um, The kids I, I had taught at a private school at one point, and the kids were like, you know, okay, we get it. Like I told them once, okay, we get it. Can we do homework?
0: No. What is JT? GT. Gifted and talented. Okay, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: And they would say, no, uh, you know, we just want to do our homework. We got it. And I'm like, no, I've prepared this song and the dance, and you're going to watch my song and my dance. <laughs> you know, <it> was like <laughs> in my mind, I was so frustrated that they got it so <clears> easily, and you just, you know, sucked the fun out of it. Um, And then when I went over to response to intervention, RTI, um, teaching at a public school, I just loved it. I loved working with those kids. I mean, especially middle school math, where they, in in their minds, they were done. They've checked out. They don't believe in themselves anymore. And here we are now at a place where it's like, no, we're going to cook. We're going to plant stuff. We're going to bring it all relevant to you. And just to see them do things that they never thought they can do, or somebody else hasn't come alongside them and believed in them like that possibly. Um, it was so rewarding to be part of that journey. And so then I always use technology in every place that I went to, it was always a, a hook for these kids and it was something I loved doing. And then that's what really brought me into, um, instructional technology in school district and then that moved into augmented and virtual reality um, when when I ran into AR which is augmented reality um, I was I was sold from the moment I saw it and I've not stopped it's just been running it changes it grows it captures your attention there's always something new it's always incredible Incredible. And so VR quickly was the next love there. So I see these two really coming hand in hand. I've always been really focused on bringing those two together whenever I'm sharing these because I think they both offer two different experiences, um, but both immersive. And so then the opportunity came up for me to help somebody write a book on AR and VR with ISTE. And I said, sure, I'll meet. And it was about halfway into the conversation that I realized. I was the somebody they wanted to write the book. And I thought, (laughs) I taught math. There's no way in my mind, I'm like, no, absolutely not. No way, no way. And she said, So what do you think? And I said, I think yes. Like what came out of my mouth was so different than what was going on in my head. (laughs) And it was so hard. And I've written book two, and it was so hard. And every time I'm thinking, why did I say yes to this? I'm a terrible writer. I, this is like the easiest book anybody will ever read, but it was something that was necessary for people to jump on board and they have to see it in video. They have to hear it on podcasts. They have to go to a presentation. They have to have hands-on time and then they have to read about it. All those pieces come into play to help them really grasp this. So while it wasn't comfortable for me, it was necessary for people to actually be able to take this technology and run with it.
0: Mm. That's a really good journey. I can see it as the game of life, and I'm liking it for sure. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is, because honestly, I was an English teacher, and my journey was similar to yours. I taught middle and high school. I did not teach gifted, but I taught the full spectrum with the exception of that. And I think you'll like this since you were a math teacher. I also brought economics into the classroom. So I was always wanting, let's do puppet shows and let's, let's do all of these different things. It was, it was a lot of fun. They were aggravating, not going to lie. But I noticed there's a shelf life. It's, teachers either stay in at 10 years when you get fully vested, boom, you're out the door. I stayed 11 or they stay for the whole duration. So you got fully vested, I'm going to guess. Yeah, for
1: sure. I would still be there. As a matter of fact, my last year in the classroom, I remember kind of struggling, like, why would I leave this? This is like the best job. I don't have curriculum down my throat, micromanaging every little thing that comes out of your mouth, because I was doing RTI, you know, they just want to show improvement. And it's like, then it's like, well, what could we show them? You know, like, oh, Mm -hmm. get ready. Because now that you're not limited to every little word that comes out of your mouth, now you have this open door. And that's what I had with RTI. And I, you know, I do miss it. I miss a lot of what I do, but I get to learn from other teachers that are bringing this kind of technology. And it's, I love watching what they do with it.
0: Do either of your kids want to go into education and be a teacher? So I have three kids, my youngest.
1: Yeah, so I have two older, they're both in college. One going, my son is going in, to public service so he wants to go in a criminal he's in criminal justice program and then my daughter public service as well because she wants to become an educator so she's in the education program and then my youngest daughter who's 13 who knows she's way too much like me though so I wouldn't doubt that she wouldn't go into education too it's really interesting because my husband's also a teacher um (laughs) okay it's a given it's it is the career path well we were both First, to go to college in our families, so we were really the outliers in that, which is why I think we have put such a strong emphasis in having our kids, you know, have all the opportunities opened up for them and you know, things not being
0: shut, they'll do super good. I am quite sure of that. So, we've been talking a little bit about well, you wrote a book. I have you done a TED talk yet? A TEDx talk? I have not. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to put that up there for you. I think you're going to be doing that one too, to go along with all of your accolades. But you have this love of virtual reality, augmented reality. How about if you define what those terms are for our listeners? I've had other guests on, but honestly, you know, I don't know if people go back and listen to the other episodes, so I think it's a good reminder. You know, it sounds, sounds like, hmm, what is that?
1: Yeah, that's a good call. Augmented reality, referred to as AR, is seeing something digital in your real world. So in your space, people will often connect the dots with like Snapchat filters or a lot of filters on our social media, like Instagram have the augmented reality layered as well as Pokemon Go augmented reality in your space, being able to interact and see your real world and interact in your real world. But this digital layer is there, given the illusion that it, ha- it has appeared to your space. And then virtual reality is actually completely immersed in a 360
0: experience. So-, so That's when we wear the goggles, right? The Oculus. And we're able to, to play games or fight aliens or whatever.
1: Yeah, it could be. Absolutely. I like to refer to VR as well as on mobile devices, on tablets and looking around and still looking in that 360 space. And I think that's where the practical comes back around because a lot of people think they have to go out and buy a headset to do virtual reality. When in fact, there's a lot of virtual reality components we can even do on our computer. It's not as immersive. It doesn't have the same kind of reaction, but it's certainly looking at a 360 experience that gives us an awareness and um, an illusion that we are Mm -hmm. have transported to a
0: new place that's certainly why people love movies because going to the big screen and seeing some of the sci-fi movies and the way that they can do the art I'm going to go back to the matrix and even though I saw the the latest one that came out this year I went you know that is really cool how they do those special effects and you know, Keanu Reeves is falling backwards, the bullets are flying over his head and everything. But yet they could even make it feel like it was super real. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the goal you're sometimes it's so real people get sick people get scared I have a friend who created a virtual reality experience to be able to support people that need to get trained on bears in Alaska they need to be able to know how to use bear spray so we created a simulation that adapted to the user and he said it never fails every person that ever got in there even though they'd all been trained on how to use bear spray because you put them in vr and then you ask him to actually have a bear coming after them. He goes, it never fails. Everybody dies. Either they shrivel down, either they scream and, you know, pull back or they literally run away and the headset goes flying off. So I think that your brain, while you may know it in your head, you still react. If you have somebody come up close to you in VR or something come too close, um, we all respond with stepping back, you know? Mm-hmm. So it is very interesting how your fight body or flight. Responds. Right? right. And I think that's that's a piece of how we can learn. We can take what may be a scary experience in VR and understand that our brains are receiving that information differently. And that's an opportunity for us to make that more immersive for our learners.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that um, there's something that's in Florida. You'll have to come back for it. It's right. in right between Thanksgiving and the first week of December, it's called ITSEC. And it's IITSEC, and it's the biggest training and simulation and 3D environment you can ever be in. It is a whole room that is predominantly, you know, they send things out there for the defense industry, but we now have healthcare there. We have education. There's different types of games, um, serious games too, for, you know, Mm -hmm. they're all about training and learning. But simulated helicopter flying, simulated weightlessness. And they have it all set up so you can really try it it is the biggest thing i'm going to give you another one that i'll send it to you so you can sign up and come to it because you will totally geek out at it because it's not all just an education you get to see it in a different application right. with different industries
1: yeah And that's important. If we can't see this translate into the industries our students are going into, you know, again, going back to the practical, why is that relevant to them? It could be that the content they're learning oftentimes, and I taught math and they were like, I just don't know why I need to learn this. This is not Mm going to be something I'm going to use in life. I'm like, well, you're going to be broke because if you don't learn math, you're in (laughs) trouble. You know, that you will use math every single day. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things that, uh, you have the students have to see the relevance, and I think for them to see that this technology that I'm using in our classroom today will translate to the future career that you need, that's another huge emphasis for teachers to embrace this. It's not about us; it's about them.
0: Yeah, exactly. I remember you saying at the beginning that you were bringing math in, they were going to cook, and they were going to be gardening, and that is true. I mean, we always use measurements. The The thing that i do not know how to do is to convert from our imperial system into the metric system and i would hope that in education i'm sure they don't do this yet teach both of those because it's kind of like being bilingual honestly Mm -hmm. if i could do that i would not need the app that would help me show me how to do that
1: yeah i agree i think um very little in the metric system, more so just converting within the metric system. So, but I agree that they're, they should be learning both, but certainly an emphasis here in the States is going to be not on the metric system.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. My brother is a, um, a helicopter pilot for the army and he's as high up as you can go in the military. And I remember when I went to visit him at Fort Rucker, he was mm-hmm. teaching how to fly. And I went into the simulator and honest to goodness I felt like I was flying and yet it, you know, it really wasn't leaving the ground, but the whole ability to feel that I was in that space was very real, very yeah. real. Yeah. I just watched something recently on my Oculus Quest, speaking of
1: headsets on 9-11 and oh it was gosh. probably one of the best uses. And it was simple because it was just the 360. You weren't walking in and out of anything. There was no interactions. You were literally just hearing the story of this lady, the last person found from ground zero. And you got to hear this unbelievable story. And the whole time, they're bringing you in and out. What does New York look like today? What did it look like then? And it is phenomenal. I mean, what a she did such a great job at telling her story, but to also see. What was going on? The response we have is so different than just watching it on a screen. I'd seen a uh-huh. lot of, a, a, all of us have, right? We, right. many of us were there in that moment when this was all happening we were watching the news nonstop. But to go into a VR experience like that and, and to hear this story, it was unbelievable. I cried, I laughed. I made my youngest daughter watch it. My 13 year old, when I, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who is now in college, I was pregnant with her when 9-11 hit. So to have my 13 year old, she's like, mom, you know, like it's to them, it's like, oh, it's unrelatable. And then you give them an experience like this. You're not asking them to just watch a video. You're giving her, making her the center of that story. It just puts things in a completely different perspective. She had so many questions afterwards. She wanted to talk about it. She wanted to, you know, what about this person's story? How many people were there? And she had actually been to New York. She got to see what they have done to New York since, but for her to then see the story and then have all these questions it really just brought up. It's just one example of how VR, the storytelling aspect or the informational aspect the history that
0: you could reenact, right? That was like night in the museum, honestly, Yeah. something like that. But that is really overwhelming. I, I think that there would be places where if we could feel that, and honestly, if you could smell it too, I know that there's a lot of technology out there, smell so we can actually <laughs> like smell the smoke. Because in my head, when you're describing it, what I'm seeing is, you know, the the buildings coming down, the smoke, the fog, the ash that's flying all over, there's people screaming, you know, so much. And it has to sound like chaos. And it would be overwhelming, I think. And then I go, but what if I was able to see that at, at like, the Nazi camps? Would that not stop, I would think, most people in their tracks saying, no, this will never happen again. There will be some people that, sadly, you know, they don't see it that way because of whatever reason, Right. But to go either to Civil War or to, you know, World War II or just pick any catastrophe, you know, the Challenger when it exploded and be able to understand what was happening would be Well, the augmented reality there is. Yeah. And I
1: speaking of um, Holocaust survivors, their story was captured using um, a technology to make them three dimensional. Mm-hmm. and brought into an augmented reality app that I, sh- I demo a lot. I want people to be aware what's appropriate and this, when you hear these stories, but you literally place the Holocaust survivor in your living room or in your mm. classroom or wherever you're at and everything around you changes. So while you're hearing their story and they're sitting there with you, all of a sudden, as they're describing the story, your space converts into a snowy land or your space all of a sudden shows up as buildings that are being torn apart by people that are hungry and or cold and need to use your wood from your house to burn something to survive. You know, hearing these stories and, and seeing these stories, they're very hard to watch, but they're very important to watch too. Mm -hmm. So, but these are the technologies that bring the stories to life in a way that really isn't possible without it.
0: Yeah. I can just see Anne Frank's diary becoming like that. So relatable. So relatable.
1: Yeah. She has something on VR too, where you can go into the house and you go and walk around, you hear her story you hear you see her writings you see uh the stories about the people in the house and you're literally navigating inside the house itself in the real house in germany in in the reenacted house in vr so yes okay
0: okay Mm -hmm. wow that is something there's Mm -hmm. this one guy now on a lighter note there's this one guy i work out of orlando game space a big giant you know coworking space filled with people that love VR, AR, you'd be envious if you come to, whenever you come to Orlando, let's connect again, I'll give you a tour. And I am the only woman that is a video and game production. I have a video and game production company. But I also have a, you know, a software platform, which is employers for change. That's how we met. But anyway, this guy comes in in the morning and he puts on his Oculus and that is his workout. He is in there. He mm-hmm. is doing all kinds of stuff. I can hear everything that's going on. And he is literally dripping when he is finished with his workout. Yeah. So I, I'm always sitting here thinking I would want to change a pace. I would want yeah. to be able to go and be outside. But he just so thoroughly enjoys that workout. What's, that-
1: uh, yeah, there's a couple workouts that I've done in VR. I actually wrote an article about staying active during when COVID first hit, I wrote it in March of 2020 Mm
0: -hmm. for
1: when we were all stuck in our houses. And I wanted to spotlight some of the tools out there that actually get you up and moving and the importance of that in that season. But since we weren't able to be around people, we were stuck potentially in a building, giving them an opportunity to use the tools like VR to actually stay active. And I use, there's a couple supernaturals, a fantastic app where you can go to all these incredible places. Now you, you want to go and exercise outside in Orlando. He wants to go to Scotland you know, and Ireland, and he wants to go look at the beautiful hills. And then you have this trainer standing there and it's taking your measurements on your watch and it's aligning with what you're seeing here in VR and it's increasing or slowing down and it's setting the pace and, you know, and it's fun and it's challenging and it's music that relates to you. And it's just, it's a very different type of experience to motivate somebody to want to exercise, but 100%, you will come out so sweaty. It's disgusting. You got to thoroughly clean that headset, but for sure, there is some opportunity for us to
0: stay active using this kind of technology. Mm, That is really, really good to know. So you mentioned uh, Pokemon Go as one of the things that, now that was a really big trend. You know, I don't know how many years ago, four or five years ago maybe somewhere in that time frame, yeah. and never played it, don't really know anything about it, but yet people were able to use their phone to actually engage with it. So you mentioned earlier that it is possible to do that. That was more of an augmented reality, I would think, experience, right?
1: It is. It became popular because it was augmented reality. It was some, for some people, the first time they had ever really understood what AR was, maybe they never walked away saying that was augmented reality because it's technology, right? They don't necessarily need to call out every single technology out there. Like, oh, that's facial recognition. You know, Mm -hmm. they just call it tech, but it was potentially their first encounter with AR, which is why it it became so popular, why it was kind of capturing people's attention. I don't think everybody was stuck on Pokemon. Prior to that, I mean, most of it's appealing to kids, right? But in this case, people really like the challenge of seeing it appear. Now that AR experience at the time was just like something floating in your space. But now augmented reality is more than just floating on your screen. It's tethered to your space. It's identifying the lighting. It's identifying what its boundaries are. It's identifying people. And so if somebody walks by, it could go behind it now or in front of it, and it knows what not to show and what to show based upon where the person is. The technology now is advancing and it's just incredible. And I think it, again, just enhances the realism of this technology and and giving you, again, this illusion that you are experiencing this character or planet or solar system or whale whatever it is mm-hmm. you know show up in your space and and there it is this is this feels very real
0: we did that at the uh the conference also that we were at where the keynote speaker for the day that morning there was like four they were on a panel and he said open up your phones go to google augmented reality i think that's what we did everybody picked cat and then run it around the room and there were all of these cats you know running around in the space and I went that is so cool what and you just said whale and i went oh my god i could do that with a whale what you would can't. that look like <laughs>
1: you yeah. actually can yeah you could do it with an alligator you could do it with several different types of dogs there's so much out there they they initially started you know this is WebXR, so this is looking at what is through our browser what kind of augmented and virtual so instead of having to go to an app download an app and then experience this which has traditionally been the case pokemon go app instead now we have it all being done through our browser which i think is the future because people don't wanna have to download an app to experience every little thing. They just wanna go and research. Tell me about the humpback whale. They want to go and experience that in their space. And now all they have to do is type it in their browser and bam, it says it's 3d. And now I can see it in augmented reality. I can walk around the whale. I could see how it moves. I can learn more information about the whale. I just think that this is the future of how we research is that it's not just going to be text on a screen or a video we play or a picture we look at. Now we're actually going to be in the space with that item or concept. And we get to experience it on a personal
0: level. Mm. I'm wondering when they're going to be able to, we we would be able to touch things, feel Mm -hmm. them. That would be. Yeah, we can.
1: I mean, we, you know, and yeah, well, you know, haptic feedback is part of uh, what we have even in our mobile device, but you know, some of the wearables that they're using now with the haptic feed, I mean, you might have a watch on, I do, we have haptic feedback, so Meaning, hey, it's time to turn left. I know on maps I've connected to your phone and you need to know. So it starts buzzing on my wrist to let me know. Don't forget to turn left. Don't get caught up in your conversation, focus, or hey, keep going. It's time to get up and move. Well, that's that haptic feedback is available and augmented and virtual reality as well. So there is an app that's made for people that are blind that they can actually lift up their phone and through their mobile device through their camera, it actually will detect how far away something is. It's using a technology called LIDAR technology. And Mm -hmm. so it's detecting how far away a wall is or how far away a table is or how far away a person is. And some of the apps actually tell you and talk you through a person. Jamie is five you know, feet away, or it will actually guide you using haptic feedback. So you don't walk into a wall. So somebody that's blind can actually use that technology to avoid a collision in my phone. It starts buzzing to let me know, Hey, you're too close. It buzzes faster, the closer I am. And it even makes sound. So if I am not deaf, then it will allow me to hear it and feel it. It's just the technology today is just incredible because we need this for accessibility reasons. And using this kind of technology does, works with more than just the AR functionality of it. It's, it's the livelihood of it, you know, having the resources to live.
0: You know what, you were saying some things there and in my head, this is what I'm here, seeing in my head. I'm going, yeah, if somebody's blind, they wouldn't have to have the cane. They would actually have something Kind of like Star Trek, where on their watch, bzz, a little bubble appears over them and they're free to walk. They can do whatever. And the bubble is the thing that's protecting them and gu- guiding them along the way. I went, that would be so cool. But yet it's invisible. So people are not like seeing it and going, being distracted by it. Wouldn't yeah. that be amazing?
1: There is something called augmented reality portals, AR portals. I you knew you'd come through. up with something. <laughs> yeah. I love sharing portals. Um, you literally lift up your device. You see a window kind of like Dr. Strange, and mm-hmm. then you walk through that portal and it brings you into a completely different space. You can walk in and out. And if you turn around, you can see your outside world. And then you mm-hmm. can come back and see that you're in this portal. Alice in yeah. Wonderland. It is Alice in Wonderland actually has something like that. So there's, tons of experiences all over the place that you everybody's making something out there that's what's so exciting about arvr it It is is constantly
0: growing and changing Mm. well we're going to take just a minute to acknowledge our sponsor cat5 studios the intern whisperer is brought to you by cat5 studios who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world visit cat5 studios for more information to learn how cat5 studios can help your business thank you cat5 studios and we're back to our show and in the second half we're going to be talking about the future of jobs and industries as we move towards 2030 which is really not that far away honestly we know eight years well you know we can't even count this year because it's probably already gone there what are your thoughts about covid and the impact that it's had on business and in education we've seen so many teachers also leaving that breaks my heart truly it does Parents have become more empathetic, we'll say, compassionate, caring, because they realize everything that those teachers were doing because they were not wanting to be the homeschooled parents, but yet they had to. So going back to the original question, what do you think the impact would be as we move into 2030? Oh, and one more thing. This morning, I heard there's another variant of COVID, and it's in Europe, and it's to be coming this way. So I don't think we're getting away from this.
1: Yeah, it, it's really interesting. I'm in Texas. So we were at a school for, let's see, March, April, May. We were at a school for three months, but we've been in school since. Masks were part of what we did initially, but quickly that was gone. So most schools here in Texas have not been affected like many across the country that had stricter lockdowns. And I think that, you know, the learning that the challenge of trying to bridge a gap from that time, I don't think we need to look at this as like, oh, you hurry up and fill the gap because, you know, there's a reason why we have a timeline of when students are learning developmentally, what they're capable of doing. And I think trying to squish it all in is just not productive and not helpful. And it's just uh, creating a disaster. But I do think that recognizing how we learn and how important it is for it to be more personalized is an important piece of what we learned from COVID, that not everybody learns the same. Some kids excelled in online learning. Most kids struggled. And I think that we all had to think outside the box. I have been a proponent of using, like we are, online connections and have tried to share that with teachers for years, tried to share that with school districts for years. It was always my least attended sessions whenever I share on global connections, using social media, understanding how to do video, those types of you know, conversations and the, the important skill set of that has always been like one day we'll get there. We just have bigger fish to fry, which they did. But then when it came to that, I remember being so frustrated like all of you discounted this. You didn't want to <laughs> learn this. You resisted this. And here we are. If only you jumped on the bandwagon. But you know, you just got to realize people have a million things on their plate, educators too. And everybody's just trying to do the best they can with the time that they have. And I think that's just really where I needed to have a little bit more patience. And, Mm -hmm. and I know that our kids had to learn that patience. Our teachers had to learn that patience with us, their administrators and administrators had to learn that patience with teachers. I think giving everybody a break and not being so intense and just kind of taking a breath is probably the first step. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that we're never going to be the same. I think this has opened up Pandora's box and some of the problems that we've had for a long time in education. I think on both sides, you know, on one side, you have teachers that have been discounted, have not had support, have not, you know, what we are asked as teachers to do for our students, that same as not being done for teachers. We're not caring for them. We're not supporting them. We're not celebrating with them. You know, all of those things that were missing in education and we weren't paying them (laughs) very little, right? So you have all these complicated factors of why so many teachers left. But I also think on the other side is that there's been a big window into what's happening in education that parents are now, thankfully, stepping up to say, I want to be more actively involved in what my children are doing in schools. I know it has seen a lot of negative light on that too, but you know, where do we find success for students? It's when parents are involved. So we need to do our part to invite more parents and community members to be a part of this education journey. And we also need to do our part to support and appreciate the educators that are out there serving. So I think it's a complicated issue that may not be resolved anytime soon. I think it's just, you know, it's boiling over for sure this year, but I know for sure when it comes to immersive tech, that these are the skills that are not stopping. COVID did not slow this down. If anything, it accelerated the need and the desire to have these types of tools because people were home and recognizing this new technology. There's been a higher demand there's been sales like crazy because people want it more. And I think that that, again, is why we need to be so interested in bringing our kids up to par and getting them the skill sets they need for this technology in their future.
0: Mm, That is really, really true. I agree with so much of what you said. I think that there's this place where parents, you know, that PTA thing, they think that that was like really contributing. But again, being involved with their children, that's Definitely a plus, no matter how old they are. We should definitely see more compassion. I think that there's gonna be a new onslaught of teacher 5.0, I'll say, that's coming out of schools because they've gone through this and they can go, you know what, I think that, you know, there's a way that we can adapt and make this, you know, work for the education system. I don't think that they won't be afraid of technology, that's for sure, they embrace it because They come out of the womb knowing it. Anyway, I feel like it's going to be a a different breed of teachers that are in the workplace, for sure. Mm -hmm. So we've been spending a lot of time talking about augmented reality and virtual reality, but what do you think about robots and automations and the impact that is having on the world? Everything in our space that we live in or work in or wherever, if it's the same space, Has all been advancing at the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. And the ability for us as humans to keep up with it is just overwhelming. There's not a day that doesn't go by when I open up either an app or something new that a platform I use and go, oh, there's another update. I
1: I work at Identity Automation and their marketing Mm -hmm. team. This is also somewhat foreign to me on the digital identity aspect of it. This is certainly the direction that is necessary for growth. So Mm -hmm. the automated aspect of it, which, you know, going back to the robots, I think there is a component that needs the automation. And then there's a component that needs the human. And I think that there's a fine balance and there's times that we, as individuals are willing to sacrifice the human part for the productivity part, but then there's other parts where like that won't work. Like, yes, I I know that I'm getting this result, but I desire the human aspect of this. So I think that there is, obviously we're going to continue to accelerate in this area, but I think that it's also being defined in where and how fast we're accelerating this. And I think society as a whole, you know, for instance, we love social media, but social media is about being social, but there's a lot of automation involved, right? And when I feel like you're, pushing ads or pushing content in front of me that I haven't selected because I fit into an algorithm or I'm only seeing certain posts from certain people because they believe that's who I'm supposed to see it from. That rubs us wrong. Like we Mm. want the human factor. I want to be able to choose. I don't want automation to tell me this is what I've got to see. So I'm going to take you off of automation. I'm going to put this on manual. And yes, I'm going to see a lot more things maybe that I'm not interested in. But I get to run the show and I like the human factor of this. So I think that there's times we choose it and there's times that we choose the automation because it's more practical for our lives. But it is definitely in our
0: future. I consider myself somebody that's in that futurist mindset. And I feel like there's going to be the day the grid goes down and everybody that is used to doing everything on this little device here and getting all of this communication now we saw this happen with the last election on social channels people are distributing news that is the biggest way to get information to the masses some people believe this is totally true everything they read on social channels then there are less that sit here and question it and actually go well is it true or is it not true one of the things when i was teaching i would say to the students you shouldn't believe everything i say just because I say it. You should always be questioning anything I say if it doesn't sound like it's logical or it's good counsel. If you catch me and I've made a mistake, I would appreciate that you would correct me in a respectful way just so that we could make sure that, you know, we are fact checking ourselves even because many people come out and they'll make a statement. Oh, this is true, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, I heard this and it's nowhere near the truth. It's nowhere near any of these things. So when we hear social, where I'm going with this whole commentary is social. I think that social is not the same definition as what we're doing right now, which is the conversation. I feel like a lot of the the next question I have was always about you know working remotely and distributed and all of those questions. But this particular aspect of what's going on in the world has caused more distance and the inability to interact with one another. People are meant for relationship, they're figuring out how to navigate these new constrictions. I'm definitely a futurist, but I'm also a little bit of a person that believes conspiracy theory. So I'm going, was it planned? Was it because hasn't COVID? I've heard it's always been around us all these years. And then all of a sudden it became this big thing, not saying that the other years weren't, not saying that it wasn't real, but I sat there and went, was this something that was orchestrated by the bigger, whoever it is, the person, people that are in charge of all communication and helping us believe what's real now i'm going into the matrix not where i meant to go with our show at all (laughs) i don't know offline we'll have this as a separate conversation maybe if you're in that same field as myself going back over here robots i have seen robots in Kissimmee. they actually deliver your food at a restaurant and then one of my interns that was in california she was talking about state park a robot comes over and says here's a menu please place your order beep 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 just a minute goes and gets it brings it back food is delivered so have you seen robots in texas that are serving or doing any type of work around there i haven't seen that yet i've seen
1: videos but i haven't witnessed it myself i think that we're all headed toward again you know do i need the human factor do i actually need a physical person to walk over and hand me food i don't think so i don't think we need that human factor however If something's wrong with my food, I surely need a human to come over and let me describe what's wrong with my food so that they can go back and fix it. This steak is seriously undercooked. I asked for medium or whatever it is. Right. So I think. But it could
0: be the robot is fixing your food in the kitchen because there may not be a cook. And I was thinking of that very same thing because I went into the grocery stores and I think about the supply chain and all of these things. I go, how much of this could be automated? And if we automate these things and put robots in place, how much of it are we taking jobs away from other people that may not be meant for being a teacher or being a graphic designer or a programmer? Not everybody is meant for that. Some people love getting their hands into something and doing things that way. And it may not be fixing robots. Mm -hmm. They may actually love serving people and bringing them their food. And I'm going, but should we, just because we can do that, should we? It's like an ethical dilemma,
1: (laughs) you know? Yeah. I, I think that we all have, if we get stuck in the momentum of, well, we need to keep this open because it's going to supply a job to somebody. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be in trouble. We are going to be the blockbusters, right? And mm. what we need to do is we need to think about if there is a more effective way, I need to broaden my skill set. I need to be open and ready to learn new things. And maybe I'm the one that works on that robot that is bringing that food. And I understand. Maybe I'm the one helping to program this robot because I understand what types of questions people are going to have about their food or what kind of possibilities. So maybe there's something on the robot where I can adjust for that customer, however, they want to change their food order or wherever they say, yes, I'm good to go. Thank you. This was perfect or comments afterwards to know how we can, you know, improve the situation. So while we can say, but wait, that person has to carry that and bring that over I just think we need to all be open to always learning. And the moment we stop learning is the moment, you know, we all should be thinking we are in trouble because there's always going to be somebody or something that can come over and do what we're doing. And we also need to continue to sharpen our minds and our skill set to, to become better than we were yesterday. Every company is going to make an investment into something that's going to save yeah. money. So if any time you're dealing with a profit, that's always going to, Override the ethical aspect as long as it's not illegal. I think that how a company is going to perceive that is always going to be driven by what we're going to have in the field, right? So the user isn't the one that's going to say, but wait, you're taking away these jobs. At the end, the companies are going to make a decision that's going to help them make the most profit. So we don't need to be hopeful that a company just holds on to our jobs for the sake of it, even though they lose money. And the end user, Loses money. So I'm going to pay more for an actual person. But I think you know that VR. Let's go back to the bear, the bear yeah. simulation. It was more than just hey, we they would bring somebody from here in the states out to Alaska. They'd have to fly them out. They'd have to pay them for their days of work to go walk out to the forest, never see a bear, practice use bear spray, and go back to the building and say you're good to go. They spent all that money and they had to do it every year for the training because these people worked outside. And, and it was costly and it was ineffective. So when he made the simulation... It was more than just saving money, although that's what the company was initially thinking about Mm -hmm. it, what they came to find out that it was a much more effective to give them these types of more realistic experiences for to be effective in their, you know, what they're supposed to learn and how they're supposed to put it into practice and hopefully save their lives. So there was a lot of aspects to that. And I think that's where it's at. Are we just, you know, replacing somebody, but doing exactly how about that robot does things that the person is impossible to do. You know, so that way it's a better experience for the person at that restaurant. It's a better opportunity for that end user and better for the company, um, more affordable and for the person that could be working on that robot, as opposed to being stuck with just carrying food in and out. Right. So Mm -hmm. there's, you know, I think that we need to think about always growing
0: instead of clinging to what jobs are out there. What is the best mentoring advice that you would like to share with our listeners?
1: Uh, you know, I love working with first year teachers for this very reason. I think keep the big stuff, big and the small stuff, small, because it's so easy to get overwhelmed by embracing anything new and you get caught up in all the little things. And it literally takes away the joy from what you're doing And I think when it comes to anything that you move forward with, whether it be immersive technology or teaching or another field to be able to really keep the core, what your main focus is and what you're doing and why you're doing it for as the center, that's where you invest your time Mm -hmm. and your energy Mm -hmm. and then keep the small stuff small. So it doesn't absorb the joy and the love for what
0: you're doing. Oh, that's solid advice for anybody. That's not even a teacher. That's like, you know, chicken soup for the soul. There we go. <laughs> how can our listeners contact you? Do you want it on website? You know, we usually provide everybody's LinkedIn, but how would you like people to contact you?
1: Yeah, so my website is arvrin.edu, so arvrinedu.com. I have hundreds of blogs about everything i looked at them oh my god
0: it was a 31 day countdown and i went those are awesome (laughs) just happened last
1: month but i do it every march i also do an event every december there's so much content so many things that you can bring back i have two books out there that i wrote that are really just for that educator sparking the joy the love the passion of using this technology but I'm also very active on Twitter at Jamie Donnelly. I'm semi active on LinkedIn. Definitely Twitter is my main social platform that I get onto and connect with people. But if you have any questions, I love hearing stories. I love hearing how they're applying this or brainstorming ideas of using this kind of technology in education. So I love connecting
0: with people and I hope that I'll reach out. Jamie, this was delightful. Thank you. I hope I didn't throw you off, you know, with any of my questions that came up kind of random. You, you got insight as to how I think also. So anyway. I'm there with you. I'm like the game of life too, right? So, Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, I look forward to following what you've got out there on LinkedIn and on Twitter. I'm becoming LinkedIn is my jam. But I am also, I used to be a big Twitter geek, but I went back over to LinkedIn and now I'm picking up Twitter again and I'm going, ah, oh, it's all good. Yeah, well, LinkedIn's so refreshing.
1: I feel like uh, in the past couple of years, I've really enjoyed going back to that platform and just, mm-hmm. um, connecting and learning. And it doesn't feel like it's filled up with so like, I, I don't want to read the political stuff. I just want to get to the core of what I want to learn. And some yeah. people only go for the political stuff. So for them, that's what they're driven for. Whereas for me, I want to connect with people and and I want to learn in education. So I get absorbed into that and in that in Twitter, but LinkedIn's really good about kind of keeping it a little bit more focused.
0: You have a great evening and this show is going to be airing in like four weeks. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Likewise. You take care. Have a good Bye-bye. Experience. Bye. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. Thank you to our production team and video interns, Christian Flowers and Daniel Conti. Music is by Sophie Lloyd and our sound engineer is Eric Peterson. Please visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while upskilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for listening to The Interim Whisper and follow us on your favorite podcast channel.